This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast. This is episode six. I am your host, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company. I've got Steve Nassar here. What is going on, Steve? Hey, Tucker. Great to be back. Thanks for the intro. Yeah, we're back here in our virtual studio recording episode number six. We've got a really cool episode this week and a fantastic guest. But of course, before we jump into that, what's going on with you and your business this week? I usually like to talk on the brokerage level and the broker side of things, but we have a special guest here today that I think we're going to spend a good deal of time with. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about more on the broker side, more as a guy on the streets, helping people buy and sell houses. I am seeing a little bit of a correction in the market, I feel, and it's an early, early stage, but it's one that you and I have talked a little bit about. It's not a change in fundamentals. I want to be really clear about that. I don't think anything is fundamentally different in the market than it was two, three months ago. But I just think it's that compounding effect of seller sees their neighbor sell their house. It goes pending really, really quickly. And so they go, oh, I can go 5% higher than that. And they do. And then the next door neighbor goes, well, I can go 5% higher than that. And eventually you have this phenomenon where everybody's been building on everybody's momentum and the market can no longer sustain it. And as a realtor, it is a challenge to deal with. I will say that we walk a fine line because I've been on a few listing appointments here in the last week and I'm going to speak specifically about one and hope that they don't listen to podcasts. (laughs) Talk about it. But no, all kidding aside, I'm going to be pretty pretty generalistic about it. But I went to the listing appointment, and they actually had an appraisal sitting there on the table with them. And it's a house in a subdivision in West Lynn. And cute place, nice place. The appraisal said 425000 I had pulled comps going into it. I saw that, and I said, you know, that seems right about where it should be. And we're going through comps, and... And I'm feeling good about this 425, and I, I'm seeing that that's the right price to be at. It's mildly aggressive, but definitely gives them an opportunity. They could even go into a multiple offer situation. I call that the sweet spot. And afterwards, I'm asking them, I'm like, "What do you guys feel? Are you pretty comfortable with this price?" And long story short, they tell me they wanna they wanna go higher. And I said, "Well, you know, it's okay to go a little bit higher." I, I gave them my spiel about you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Don't go too much higher because you, you could end up getting far less than you would eventually. Anyways, they tell me they want to go up 439. I swallowed it. I said, well, you know, it's your house. So, you know, you make the final decision. I want to go on record saying that you're probably a little bit high. And so I leave the appointment. I, I'm like, okay, so we're going to go on the market. We're going to test it for a few weeks and then we'll make a correction. Well, three days later, they inform me they want to go up 450. So, and this is where that, as a realtor, you walk that fine line because you want to be on record. You want to tell them that they're making a mistake that's going to ultimately cost them money. But if you go too far in that process, you jeopardize being their realtor at all. Because then you start to be one of two things. A, they're going to find somebody who says they can get them that price. Or B, when you don't get them that price, even if they do keep you as their realtor, 
they're going to blame you for dooming them because you never believed they could get that price and thus that you're the reason why you couldn't. So I'm seeing this. There's multiple listings that I'm going to right now where I'm fighting with this. I'm sure there's other realtors out there. I got to stop talking so we can get into the show, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. That's kind of what I'm seeing. How's your week been? You know, I, I don't think you should cut it too short. I mean, I think that's a real prevalent thing right now in our business. You know, we're selling at retail, we're buying at wholesale. That's kind of what we do. And then we improve the property in the meantime. You know, that feeling of, well, it's probably going to appraise for this, but I want to sell it for that. We've been feeling that on the wholesale end for a while because the retail market kind of dictates seller's mentality all the way through. I mean, even the people that own the house that needs a hundred grand worth of work, they feel that it's really gold when it's the absolute opposite of that, right? So, you know, that's definitely something that it's a good point that you bring up. And I especially think that that's the case, you know, when you go to a lot of these appointments from the realtor perspective, you bring up a really good point in the fact that if you don't agree with them to some extent and at least play ball and say, okay, we'll give it a shot. You're right. There's a lot of realtors out there that'll do what I call buy the listing and they'll just okie dokie them. And they'll get the listing because they need a paycheck, right? Either that or they just don't have the balls to tell them the truth or they're not good enough to know the truth. One of the two. And so, you know, I think that it's a tough situation for you to be in. I think you did the right thing by going on the record telling them you think they're a little high. But, you know, to some extent, you kind of have to just listen to that hoo-ha and interject your thoughts. But, you know, it's really they're driving the train, right, if you want them to be your client. And there's a lot of media right now about how hot the market is. I saw it on the news, on Channel 8 News, twice yesterday. They said exactly what we talked about last week. Portland saw the best July ever. And unfortunately, that data is always a couple months behind. You know, and I always have said, basing today's decisions on, you know, last month's data is like trying to drive a car while looking in the rearview mirror. To some extent. I mean, it's not going to show you when it's changing. So there's a lot of publicity about how hot the market is. All the sellers are getting really, really bold in their pricing. And I'm predicting and seeing a little bit on some listings of my own. And I'm seeing it also on my buyers because my buyers are doing better. They're not having the multiple offer situations quite as much so as they were a month or two ago. So I'm just predicting we're kind of going to see that non-fundamentals correction where everybody's a little too high priced, so a lot of things slow down, and then prices start coming back down as, as sellers aren't selling them at those prices, which eventually will correct itself. It'll self-correct, but you'll have a little cool down in between while everybody kind of corrects those prices, and then finally the buyers come back into the market. We saw it a year ago, and I think we're starting to see it again. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And you know, just speaking to that, we actually had a lot that we just sold in Selwood for that exact reason. We sold it a couple of weeks ago because it's bananas out there. What, you know, even on my, on my side of the business, what builders are paying for buildable lots or teardowns, you know, basically a project to keep them busy. They're basically buying a future paycheck and what they're paying for that future paycheck right now just is insane to me in a lot of areas. So we actually dumped some of our inventory just because of how hot it is. And I, you know, I think it was the right decision. We've got a lot of dirt in our pipeline and most of our stuff's in Lake Oswego. Ego. It was in Selwood. I said, you know what? We don't need to make the drive. The market's ridiculously hot. Sure, we'll dump it. We'll let them, you know, build it out and hopefully they do really well on it. But, you know, I made that decision because I did think that we're going to head into a little bit of a cooling here. And, you know, it just seemed like the time was right. So either way, I think there are good points that you bring up. As far as other stuff going on in my business, we sold that one I just talked about, but we are signing tomorrow on a big piece of dirt actually just down the street from my house. There's actually three houses on the property now that are all rented. And over the course of the next six months, we're going to get the tenants out and then we're actually to split it into two lots. We're going to build two nice big homes right on Upper Drive in Lake Oswego. 
one of them's going to be a quasi flag lot, but they'll both be ginormous lots, so it won't really feel like a flag lot. But we have to build flag lots differently than you do road frontage lots in Lake Oswego. And I don't know how many people out there in listener land are aware of this, but Lake Oswego has kind of socially engineered the way that they want the existing property to be redeveloped. And one of those ways was basically to deter people from building flag lots. And so, though I understand that to some extent, what they ended up doing was driving down the value of people that have lived in Lake Oswego on these bigger properties for long periods of time. Their retirement account is now worth a lot less. And that property and that big amount of dirt is a lot of those people's retirement accounts. And so what they've done is they have instituted a 22-foot height restriction on any flag lots that you try and build in Lake Oswego. And a flag lot is essentially anything that doesn't have main road frontage. If the driveway has to come off of the main road and then you get to the house behind another house, those access roads are 20 feet wide. So they don't feel like a terrible flag lot like you might be envisioning. But if it doesn't have road frontage on the lot beyond just the driveway coming off of it, you can't build them taller than 22 feet, which basically means it's a one-story house. They also have what they call solar setbacks so that your neighbor can potentially have solar panels on their house. So you have to build in much farther than the normal setbacks require you. So it pushes you in and it pushes you down, which at the end of the day, you're basically building a tough shed on anything that would be a flag lot, which obviously is not marketable and it just doesn't make sense. So it takes those bigger properties that people would be hoping to sell for, you know, a two lot price that is ultimately their retirement or a three lot price and it makes them much less. So this big property we're buying, although you could very easily split it into three lots, we can't do it because we wouldn't be able to build a very marketable second and third home. So instead, it's really a two lot property. Interesting. Why do they require that a flag lot only be one one level what is the justification to that what are they what would they be disturbing if they popped it up i would think it would be the opposite you don't want the house in front obscuring a view but maybe i'm seeing that incorrectly so their rationale is is that they don't want you to see the flag lot from the street so they don't want it to tower over the house in front of it now that makes sense if maybe you put like a 28 foot height restriction on it which is a normal two-story home but 22 feet you can't build a two-story home that's at all marketable without a funky weird you know shallow not very tall upstairs with a 22 foot house so it creates a lot of issues at the end of the day the people even working down at the city don't understand what that fully means i've had to meet with them way too much in the last month and when i explain it to their engineers and their and their planners They don't really understand that 22 feet really means one story until you tell it that way to them. And then they go, oh, well, yeah, that sucks, I guess. So it was done by somebody who knew what they were doing, but I call it social engineering. Nobody's going to really cop to the fact they knew what they were doing, but that's the way it is right now. So if you have a flag out in Lake Oswego, make sure you check it out before you uh, sign on the dotted line to actually develop it. Gotcha. And that does make more sense. For a second there, I wasn't getting it, but that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, that and a bunch of other fun stuff, but that's you know our big project that we're acquiring this week that I'm really excited about. Should be two really cool homes, probably somewhere in the ballpark of $1.2 to $1.4 million homes when we're done with them. But they'll be in a great area right by my house there on Upper Drive. I love that Lake Grove area. I think it's changing for the better every day, and I think it's going to continue to. So that's kind of what's going on with me. So enough of our jibber-jabber, Steve. Maybe you want to uh, introduce our guest who's been patiently sitting here listening to us jibber-jabber back and forth, and let's bring her into this conversation. Yes, I'm really excited to have with us Denise Wilson of Lawyer's Title. Now, Denise, you gave me your official title yesterday, and I forgot to write it down. Can you say that again? (laughs) You are so fun. I love it. I love it. 
Director of sales, baby. Director of sales. I knew it was really important sounding and I didn't want to get it wrong. So <laughs> Denise, she's been my title, account executive, sales rep, whatever you want to call it, as long as I've been a realtor and for several years when I was a lender. For those of you who don't know Denise, she is one of the best of the best. She works with a lot of the best of the best. She's invited me to many events over the years and I'm always in awe at who she works with and who she networks with and who sends her and her company business. She's just a go-getter. She's on it. She's sharp. She really cares about her clients and business as much as anybody I've known in the title industry. We recently at Premier Property Group have partnered with Lawyers Title, largely because of Denise and my working relationship. And we're thrilled with the services that they are offering all of our brokers, all 450 of them. And it was a good fit. Some of the other partners I have here at Premier Property Group, you know, they wanted to do our due diligence, which I totally respect and was thrilled to do because I knew it would only validate our relationship with lawyers. And it absolutely did. So we did meet with several title companies and ultimately landed with Denise and lawyers. So we're thrilled to have you, Denise. I always enjoy talking to you because you are the eyes and ears out there. While I see what's in my business and even my company, there's so much more out there beyond that. And same is true of Tucker, of course. You, however, you pop in and out of so many businesses, both on the real estate side and the lending side. So let's just get right into it. Tell us and our listeners a little bit about the level of activity you're seeing amongst, and we're going to talk about both realtors and lenders, but let's start, start first with realtors. And on, on this part, don't get into the numbers, just talk in general. Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, Steve and Tucker, thank you so very much for having me. I feel honored to be here and Dan for helping us get set up. I appreciate it so much. And as you said, Steve, I'm so blessed to work with you and your team and the best in the business as far as my realtor partners and my lender partners. And what I'm seeing out there as far as my real estate agents go, they are busier than they've ever been, right? We are in multiple offer situations. As a listing agent, you've got more work to do once those transactions come in more than ever. You might have 10 offers come in at the same time. You've got to make sure you're going through each offer strategically and purposefully to make sure that you're doing the best for your bottom line for your sellers. And when you're looking at 10 to 15 contracts, that's a lot of extra work you guys are doing right now. And I just admire what you guys are doing out there. As far as representing the buyers, you know, as a real estate agent, what I'm seeing, it's real emotional out there for them, right? They might have to write 10 offers to get the acceptance for their buyer. And again, so much more work, more than ever, as well as the emotional part of what if their client came in over asking price, a very clean offer, pre-approved, and there are reasons today that's not good enough to get the accepted offer. And that's a big deal out there right now. It is crazy. I'll speak to that for sure, especially on the buyer's agent front. I mean, it's a battlefield, Denise. I mean, <laughs> especially if you're in that kind of meat and potatoes price point, you know, like let's say in Portland, anything under 350 you got to go with your battle axe and your purchase and sale agreement to get that approval because uh, it's, it's going to be tough. I've often said, guys, that I wouldn't wish being a buyer right now on my worst enemy. And of course, I kid when I say that, but it is brutal out there as a buyer. The lower the price point, the more brutal it is. It is. And wouldn't you agree, though, at the same time, how exciting to be able to purchase in a market where the prices are still phenomenal, even though, yes, it's growing and it's getting better, but these interest rates, the buying power right now, it's still exciting 
if I'm a buyer, there's a lot of excitement if I can say that the buying power is pretty cool out there right now. Yeah, I mean, you got, you got cheap long-term money. <laughs> it's, it's a great thing for sure. And Portland, as we talked about, Steve, I mean, it's growing like crazy. The neighborhoods are changing like crazy, especially southeast, as we talked about last time. It's going through some ridiculous changes that, you know, even just in the last three years, since we've been doing a lot of projects there, I mean, there are certain pockets of southeast that I don't even recognize anymore. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Tell us about lenders, Denise. What are you seeing on the lending side of things? You work with a lot of great lenders. I do. I do. I I really do. And, you know, they are as busy as ever. And I'll tell you what, the purchase business, as we've just talked about, is going phenomenal for them. And with the interest rates fluctuating very slightly up and down, we are still seeing refinances. And they've got a responsibility to their past clients to make sure that they may not be seeking the refis specifically, but they have to take care of those clients. So they're extremely busy as well right now with making sure that they're taking care of their purchase business as well as taking care of their former clients that need to do a refinance right now with the interest rates being so great. You know, the other thing that factors into that, Denise, is values are up. So that can make refinancing a lot more attractive as well. There may be people that are refinancing who, you know, they've got a great rate four years ago but they're either getting the same great rate, maybe even a little higher, but they're also you know, able to get rid of some PMI or get exactly. some tap into some equity. So the values up helps a lot with that refi market too. Absolutely. I agree completely. I'm always trying to help my clients find ways to save their clients money as well. And it's a great way to do it to say, you know what, now's the time to get out of that PMI. Absolutely. Just don't go you know, take your equity and go buy jet skis and, you know, yeah, three series that. beamers and all that stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, just get rid of your, your PMI and behave, exactly. Denise, Absolutely. do you have some specific numbers on what I would be curious to know? And um, We talked a little off air about a few things. Are you able to compare? Because Tucker and I last week, we talked about July's numbers, right? And they came out August 14th. I think RMLS pumped out what the July numbers are. And somewhere around... September 14th, we're going to see August numbers, but you have the luxury of going into your system there at Lawyer's Title, and you can look at a real time. You told me daily you could see what was opened yes through yesterday. Were you able to pull up like through August 26th or somewhere there about how August is looking compared to, say, July 26th through that part of the month? Yeah, well, let me just share with you. So in July of 2015, this is just lawyer's title, and then I can tell you all title companies total. So just lawyer's title, we opened up in July of 15, 961 transactions. July of 2014, we opened 814 total transactions, okay? So we are up for openings in July, okay? Now, miscellaneous in there are about 170 to 175 non-insured products. Those are just products that people, they pay about 100 bucks. They can get a full title report for all of the informational purposes, knowing the easements and, you know, the liens on the properties without insurance, okay? Gotcha. As far as August is concerned, currently, as of yesterday, in August, we have opened 651 orders as of right now in August. Okay. Last year in 2014, we opened 720. On average, we open about 56 transactions a day. 
So yeah. we still have a couple more days left here. So We only have a couple days left. And if I heard you correct, so we had 900 this year in July. We're at 600. There's only a few days left. We're not going to bust open 300 more this month and be anywhere close to July. And we're even down year over year from last August, according to your numbers. So those are a good little glimpse into what what is happening out there. And that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good foreshadow. I mean, not that it's bad. The numbers are still great. You know, you guys are rocking and rolling. But comparatively speaking to the previous month and the previous year, I think, Steve, this kind of goes back to our last episode and what we talked about. You know, but we're also heading out of the hot season. So remember that, right? Historically, fall, school time, it's a slower season than the summer sales season. So I think historically those numbers are going to shrink as we head into September, October, November, December. But I think that that's a pretty good slowdown. I think that we talked about last, you know, July's numbers being kind of our inflection point of the pinnacle of how hot the market is to now swinging back to a little bit of a slower time than leading up to that. So I think that we're kind of headed back that direction. I don't think it's bad, you know, by any means. We have to slow down. We have to cool down a little bit to make it a balanced market. But I think that we're headed that way. Yeah. Keep in mind, August is August. So she was comparing this August to last August. And month over month, it was down. Year over year, I should say. So that's not a seasonal slowdown because it's the same month. Right. But I'm just saying historically. And I want to know if you guys agree with me on this. Number one, we are up for our company over last year by far, as far as a, as a whole this year. And let me just say, I believe, and I want to know if you guys agree with me, I believe that last year there was nothing seasonal that we would say is normal. I feel like we came out of the recession, if you will, last year with prices coming up, interest rates coming down, people finally starting to do things. I know when I look at the numbers on average, last year was not a normal seasonal year for us here as far as real estate is concerned. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Let's move on, Denise. Um, those are great numbers, by the way. I really appreciate that. And it's going to be really interesting now on September 14th or thereabouts to see what August numbers look like and if they are in line with that early foregleam that you guys are able to offer. As far as market share, I mean, nationally, talk to us about lawyers' title. I know you guys are under an umbrella of a much bigger company. How's your guys' market share, and how does that all work with that? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's pretty exciting. So Lawyer's Title, we are owned by Fidelity National Financial Group, and we actually are the number one title insurer in the U.S. We close 40% of all purchase transactions across the U.S., and it's very exciting. We've got $2 billion in liquid claims ready and available, and that's the money that's liquid and available for your consumers, should we miss something and have to pay a title claim? And those kind of dollars are exciting for you to be able to share with your consumers when they wonder, why do we choose lawyer's title? Yeah. I mean, you pay for insurance. You want to make sure that insurance company is properly liquid and, and you know, they're managed properly. And obviously that $2 billion fund is quite a bit of dough. So, uh, you know, Absolutely. whoever is getting title policies through you guys is definitely in safe hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move on, Denise. I don't want to talk about this a ton, but it's out there. It is an important thing that's coming. The reason I don't want to talk about it a ton is I think a lot of people have been beat over the head with this in our industry over and over again, just because title companies in general and some other service providers are often looking for topics that are hot to talk about. So sometimes when you bring it back up, it's been there and done that. But 
Let's talk a little bit about CFPB. Obviously, we were coming up on the October 3rd. Is that the right day? Before you go too far into it, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I had to look that up just so I sound smart on this episode. But for our listeners, that's what that means. So go ahead. Thank you, Tucker. Thank you. So October 3rd, it was put on, on hold for a while. It was supposed to roll out, I think, in August, if I'm not mistaken. And they delayed it because there's a lot of things that are being addressed by it with regards to security of information, how it's handled by the lenders, by the title companies. It affects also closings with regard to disclosures and how many days must tick by if something changes dramatically. Give us the rundown on this, Denise. You're the expert. You're the one out there that's hitting the ground in the offices, educating your people and making sure they're protected and making sure your company's protected and in the front lines of this. So tell us and our listeners a little bit about the highlights of what's happening and what they should know. There's a lot to cut through. And one thing I appreciate about you is you don't ramble about the stuff people aren't interested in. You kind of get right to the, the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think. I feel like, number one, if I'm a real estate professional, if I am a lender out there, number one, you need to just make sure that you are dealing with the right business partners who are the experts that you can lean on. The most important things that our realtors need to know out there is it's not going to be fun anymore for them if they forget to get us any sort of addendum, a counteroffer. In today's world right now, you can forget to get us a sales price change. We can get it the day of the, and we can rework the HUD. We can get the client signed, and we're still going to close on time. Unfortunately, once the CFPB takes effect on October 3rd, coming real soon, is at any point, if there is a change that affects the consumers, some of their estimated charges by an increase of 10%, the lender is going to then have to re-disclose and then the buyer still gets another three days to be able to review. So we are talking about if we are not aware of making sure that our title company and our lenders know every addendum, every counter offer, we need to have everything up front so we are not missing closing dates due to changing the consumer's financials by 10%. So 10% is the magic number then as far as what their amount of charges in any part combined from the whole transaction, right? So that 10% number. And obviously a change in sales price will affect that, of course. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Denise, let me ask you a quick follow-up question. 10% of what? Is it the cash to close? What is the 10%? So I am reading this right out of the CFPB. It is the changes that cause the sum of all estimated charges to be increased by more than 10%. So I would say all closing costs, Steve. That's kind of how I read that. Okay. It, yes, and that also includes if it affects the consumer's APR by, you know, an eighth of a percent, it's got to be redisclosed. Got okay, it. so if got the it. APR changes at all, then okay. obviously that's an issue also. Oh, you betcha. You betcha. Okay. Okay, so that's more of a lending component. And so if somebody's bringing in four grand for closing costs, and all of a sudden that changes to 4,500, which would be $100 over 10%, then that would trigger some redisclosure and some new timelines. Sure. That might be interesting how it plays into inspection periods, right? And somebody puts their initial offer in place, they offer, let's say, 300 for a house with paying 
nothing in closing costs or maybe 5,000 closing costs. And then there's something found during the inspection period that changes the terms in which they offer by, you know, a certain amount that then changes their amount of cash or closing costs that are needed. Obviously, you're basically hitting the restart button at that point. So the way I'm hearing this is it's probably those transactions that maybe, you know, have some renegotiation that has to happen during the inspection period that might get strung out longer than, you know, those nice clean transactions. Well, actually, Tucker, you're exactly right. That can affect it. And the only reason why you would string it out longer, my friend, is only if the lender or the title company is not aware of those changes. Because don't forget, as long as we know what's going on and the lender knows what's going on, before he or she discloses their final disclosures to the consumer, we've got the numbers. We're safe. We're healthy. That's what we want to get across to our real estate agents. Any major changes during that inspection, we still have lots of time to get that information. So that's never going to be a problem. The problem is when we are so used to in our industry saying, oh my gosh, I forgot to get you this addendum or an addendum, you know, was missed. It went to the title company, but not the lender. Those are the things that we just want to make sure that our real estate partners out there know that we've got to do this together as a team. And I take a big responsibility in that, that I'm going to be reminding my real estate partners of this consistently. Don't forget, is there anything this week, you know, we've got closings coming up, anything that, you know, we don't have and and I think it's a big responsibility for all of us to be on the same page and to be watching out for each other. I agree. So kind of the estimated HUD has to be very, very close to the final for all the reasons that play into that, essentially. Whereas now there can be a little bit of play in that, depending on whether or not an addendum was missed or this and that, because that does happen quite a bit. But this kind of prevents that from being able to move towards closing if that has happened. Yeah. In a nutshell, it's kind of like a rescission period in yeah. lending in, in a way they don't want you to see for the first time at closing something new. Mm -hmm. If something changes, they want you to be able to think about it for a while and (laughs) change your mind if needed. And you're right, Steve. And here's what it is, though. The new rule is the lender has to have the final numbers delivered to the consumer. And once it's delivered, they have to wait three days before they can sign. Okay, and the other thing that I think is so important that we need our real estate agents to know is when they're in a multiple offer situation or when they're representing a buyer, if the consumer is not using your preferred lender, the first thing I would be doing is get on the phone with that lender and find out how are you planning on delivering those final disclosures? Because the delivery period is going to affect when they're going to be able to sign. And so when we talk about the changes in that 10% Tucker, Mm -hmm. it's only after the initial disclosures, the final disclosures have gone out and the waiting period has started. Gotcha. But during the transactions, it's going to be normal. We can ebb and flow. We can negotiate. None of that's going to be an issue. It's just truly we're going to have to communicate at a higher level. It just sounds like it's going to help separate the true professionals from those shooting from the hip. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Absolutely. And I feel so blessed that we certainly do deal with the highest level of professionals. Absolutely. Are there other changes, Denise, in regards to security on the storage of documentation, emails that you guys are experiencing? You know, we've been going through this for over a year getting ready. For instance, I used to have just a regular turnkey at my back door. Now it's a keypad with a code. Okay. 
we have a clean desk policy that every single night there is no more leaving any kind of files on your desk every single night every single one of my escrow officers for a year have been having to do the clean desk policy which is everything has to be put away and locked before we leave the office nothing is left out on the desk anymore so there is a lot of security things going on anytime that we send any information that has a social security number anything like that yes we send it in a secure email our normal emails back and forth without social security numbers we don't send them secure our servers are five times the strength of the largest banks servers that are out there so it's pretty incredible how secure we have to be and the regulations that we are absolutely held to the highest standard interesting very very interesting would you say this is adding costs to the consumer i mean clearly these are changes you guys had to make and you and every title company you know that's the unfortunate side component of these regulatory changes that you observe is there's cost associated with them. The security doesn't happen for free. Do you guys see across the title industry that charges are raising to compensate for this or is it so minuscule that it's just not being seen? No, we're definitely taking on the cost. We definitely need to prepare because we certainly need to do things right, not only for ourselves, but to protect our real estate agents and our lenders to make sure we're all doing business the right way, that we're not going to get slapped with these huge fines from the CFPB. No, our rates have not gone up, to answer your question. We are filed at the state, and those are our rates, and we can't just make an increase overnight like that, no. Gotcha, gotcha. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. It's a big change coming, and I think we're all going to kind of figure out how it goes. I don't want to do it on the air here, but I'm going to crunch some numbers when we're when we're off. I'm trying to figure out, like, if a house is 400000 and then all of a sudden there's a price change, you add a roof or something in the 11th hour. I'm trying to figure out how that would affect the closing costs, per se. But those are things I think we're going to learn. I don't think anybody has sat down and actually penciled out every exact scenario where this affects us and where it's going to cause changes and delays. I think we're going to learn as we go. You know where it's going to get learned, Steve? It's going to get learned when the buyers have a moving truck set up on Friday (laughs) and somebody won't be able to get something closed and then they're going to have to ask for early occupancy and there's going to be that, you know, (laughs) fun times. So let me reassure you guys. It does not matter the negotiations that are going to happen during transactions. It is going to be business as usual. I promise you that. It's only going to be when there's the 11th hour change. So when we're taking responsibility, making sure to remind our clients, do we know the addendums? Do we have everything that we need to know about what happened during the inspection? Because this is truly going to be business as usual if we are communicating and we are doing this together as business partners and watching out for each other and reminding each other because all of the other negotiations, it's going to be business as usual. Yeah, I I agree with you, Denise. I was just joking around that it it will be the guy that's not paying attention (laughs) and is from the hip that will have to ask Steve for that early occupancy because him and his lender screwed the pooch. So yeah. And, And here's what I know. When those changes do happen and as they roll out, the people right here talking, us three, are going to be on the front lines and we'll be excited to come back on in a future episode and talk about hey a real life scenario denise sees a lot of transactions through the various agents she works with i see a lot through our company i'm on a lot myself in my own personal business so we're going to have a front row seat to this process and we're going to be here to talk with our listeners about it 
Yeah. Well, hey, you know, we've been talking about this for a while, so we don't want to take up any more of your time, Denise. We know uh, everybody's got to run, but thanks for joining us today. I think we really covered a lot of ground. I think we talked about a lot of really great stuff, and so I just want to thank you for being uh, part of our show. Thank you, Tucker, and thank you, Steve. I appreciate being here so much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Denise. It's our pleasure as always. All right, out there in listener land, this is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're wrapping up. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.